fantastic. Beautiful day here in Omaha. Yeah. Second, first week, second week of June here. Uh, we, you know, we pre-record some of these on account of our schedule and whatnot. But man, it's great to be here with you today, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about uh, talking about this song. Um, I'm. We talk about how Beatle nerdy we are. One of my most prized possessions, Jay. At a time when I didn't have much money. Let me see what year this this came out. I know that I was poor. Yeah, it cost twenty two ninety five, which for me at that time would have been the equivalent of like a thousand dollars. Let's see when this two thousand one. We remember that this book came out. That only you. I don't, can you see it yet? You can see the bird part anyway. Yeah. And it's called uh, Blackbird Singing, oh. and McCartney was promoting this poetry book. And essentially what he does, he takes... So I'll read you the first poem in this book. Okay. okay? Don't know if you've ever thought of this song this way, but I was, I'm a trained actor, so buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to arise. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these sunken eyes and learn to see. All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to be free. Blackbird fly, blackbird fly into the light of a dark black night. Blackbird fly, blackbird fly into the light of a dark black night. Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to arise. Wow. Beautiful stuff from Paul McCartney. Yeah. Um, you never really think of that song in that way because as musicians, I think we listen to it and go, holy crap, how did he do that? Right, right. Um, yeah, if you, but the, if you take the guitar part away from it and just read the lyric, it's amazing. So we're talking today about Blackbird on our podcast here, looking through the glass onion. I'm Billy McGuigan with Jay Hansen. Do you like that? That was my NPR intro to this song. Well done. <laughs> what if I told you, Jay? <laughs> whenever you whenever you say NPR, I always think of that SNL skit with the sweaty <laughs> Alec Baldwin. One of his finer moments. Sweaty balls. <laughs> and the sweaty wiener. So, today's sponsor for looking through the glass <laughs> onion: sweaty balls. How are your sweaty balls today? <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, this is, a, this is a song that I picked based on events that are happening not only in the United States, now we're seeing it all over the world, but our city of Omaha, also affected by the awareness that is going on in our country and the world. And so I wanted to talk about this song, Blackbird, because I know there's a little conjecture about how he wrote it, why he wrote it. Um, but before we get into all that good stuff, this is essentially a 100% Paul McCartney song. Yeah. Uh, a little conflicting about when he wrote it. Some claim in India. Some claim he wrote it uh, when he was back in his farm. Um, we'll talk about that. Very simple recording in this. Uh, George Martin produces. This is all off the top of my head. I know it's in June of 68. Kind of, kind of the times we're living through right now, buddy. And I, it actually, if I'm not mistaken, it was June 11th of 1968. And today's date is June 10th, yeah. 2000, or 2020. Uh, so a lot of similarities in the world. Jeff Emmerich engineers. George Martin produces this beautiful arrangement um, of Paul McCartney on an acoustic guitar, a Martin D28, if I'm, again, riffing off the top of my head. You're correct. 
him sitting on a stool, singing the song, playing with dress shoes on, perhaps. On yeah, there's some fancy on dress a studio shoes. floor. Yeah, yeah. We that was an unknown thing for a long time. Uh, a lot of people thought it might have been a metronome, a click that he was playing to. And it wasn't until the anthology camp, camp comes out that you see Paul singing it and very clearly has his footsteps on yeah. playing this song. So talk to me about the recording of that because that's a, it's really, you know, he talked about it. Somebody asked, you know, the Beatles did Sgt. Pepper and then, you know, you have Blackbird. Why aren't there horns and why aren't there all the, this magnificent, it, obviously a string arrangement on this song would have worked beautifully. They choose to go with this simple, beautiful take on it. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, uh, and first, the first thing I want to talk about is is yeah. I just read in Emmerich's book about how he claimed that they recorded it outside. So that's one of the things that, um, uh, because of we now have video evidence that they yeah. didn't, uh, uh, you know, it's just really interesting how people misremember what happened, you know, and we we all like, you know, at least for me, you know, I just like lock onto some of this stuff, you know, and think, oh, wow, that's how they did it. And then it's like, oh, no, it's not. Um, it was somebody is like, oh, I think, sure, that's what I did. I'm yeah. sure that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. And it, then video, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's not at all what they did. <laughs> and then I, then I read also that, like, they did it near the echo chamber to let some fresh air in. But, like, then you also read about how the echo chamber was so mold infested that, like, it was like the lowest of the lowest person to have to go in every few months and change the mic out because it would like disintegrate in the echo chamber. Anyway, these are the weird things I latch on to. <laughs> um, yep, that's knowledge that you're not going to get anywhere else. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So They're not sticking Paul in there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. They're not sticking him in there. So they taught... Um, George Martin, as he's as he's listening through Paul, uh, rehearsed the song essentially, and he and he recorded it all in one night. Uh, there's, I think, there's 32 takes, is what what I read today. Yeah. Uh, not all of them complete takes, uh, but 32 takes throughout uh, his beginning. With 32 being the choice, correct? 32 the last was the take choice. was yeah, yeah, that was the one yeah. that we hear, yeah. Yeah. See, we did our research this week, guys. We are not messing around anymore. <laughs> uh, take four, I think you can hear on one of the anthologies. But anyway, um, so George Martin is trying. <laughs> not that we're counting. <laughs> He's trying to figure out, like, a string arrangement. Uh, I th at one point, he suggests horns, which then Paul, as he's, as he's rehearsing it, um, I think he breaks into Mother Nature's son, thinks that maybe that would be a nice fit for that, comes back to Blackbird. Finally, John is just like, it, it's fine just like it is. It sounds great, you know? And so John's John's there for a little bit, kind of... Uh, I, I'd love to hear this video. There, supposedly, there's about 40 minutes of video somewhere. I, I can only find about two minutes of it on YouTube. Um, and it was included when, the, when they remastered uh, uh, all the Beatle collection in 2009. They did these little videos that were included mm -hmm. on each uh, on each disc, and so you see it there. But you can also see him playing it on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so so ultimately, I think it's John who is like, you know, let's. It doesn't need anything else. 
And so that's the way they, that's the way they go. And, you know, <laughs> that again is the brilliance of them together, right? That song could have very easily been mishandled, overpalled, which some people might say, you know what I mean? Right. Just, uh, and, and John's contribution is maybe the best part. Hey, that's the best part, you know, leave it like that. And again, in this time that we all hear about where the Beatles weren't getting along and they were doing all their own thing, isn't it? I mean, it's refreshing to think that, like, that's John's contribution. Hey, it's cool, man. Just right. leave it. I love that. Well, and one thing I just read, too, that, that I thought was really interesting was that supposedly John and Yoko are living with Paul at this point because... Uh, Cynthia and Julian were coming back from, they'd been on holiday to Italy and were coming back to the house. I can't remember what Lennon's house is called at that point. So, uh, so yeah, supposedly they're living together and Paul is dating a woman who is in the video. You see her in the video. Her name is Francie Schwartz. I had no idea. Francie <laughs> Schwartz. Um, You're blowing my mind. I'm like sitting here watching you like, oh. So Francie Schwartz, who's in, yeah, she's in the video. I'd, I'd never heard her name before, but she was she was there for a little bit. And uh, I guess post Jane Asher, pre-Linda. <clears throat> Jane Anson, I digress. I mean, I love, I, you yeah. were asking me about recording. Still, I mean, I think that's that's probably the most important contribution is is John saying keep it simple because this song is, wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really we typically go way more in depth than that, but as far as this song goes, it's pretty much a couple of microphones in a room. Yeah, Paul and his yeah, and Paul and a guitar, and wow, it works totally. And the and the birds, of course. So talk to me about the birds. So that's <laughs> there's a little. <laughs> there's a little, I don't know, I don't know what the word, confusion about what was chosen. And are those thrushes? Are those Liverpool blackbirds, sparrows? I don't know. Talk to me. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> I know that you know. This is a great story. And, and it's, you know, they record the song. Uh, Paul decides several months later as they're getting ready to piece the White Album together um, that he wants birds on it. And so the tape op, whose name is John Smith, um, is sent to the famous Abbey Road tape. There's like a closet in, in Studio Two, I believe. It's underneath the stairs. It has all like the fun percussion, all of the tape noises that they used for everything, you know, at that point. And at this point, this is way before CDs, so everything's on tape. <laughs> um, and so he's sent to find a sound of a blackbird. And... Uh, those, you know, it's easy on a CD if the, if, if anybody even remembers those at this point, but you know, you can just, you can just press the number of the track and find it. But when you're on tape, you actually have to listen to the, you know, it's like this really, so the tape op finds the blackbird, they put it on. Well, what he thinks is the blackbird. So they're mixing it down and, uh, Ken Townsend walks in, who Ken Townsend is very famous in Beatle lore for us nerds because he invented um, automatic double tracking. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's the shit. So uh, <laughs> Ken Townsend, who grew up on, in the country, walks in as they're mixing and he's like, what's the name of this song? And they're like, Blackbird. And he's like, why is there a thrush on it? 
<laughs> and everybody's like, what? And he's like, that's not a blackbird. That's a thrush. <laughs> and so <laughs> the tape op who's there, John Smith, he immediately like just turns, you know, beat red and like, what, what? And like rushes to the thing and they find out that he went one too many or one one not far enough because, you know, you're just listening to this right. quick little things, you know. Right. So anyway, they had to remix it with the proper bird in there. And it has been verified by, I believe... Noted ornithologist. Ornithologist? (laughs) Noted and quoted ornithologist. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. When you say it British, I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. No, it sounds better British, though, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a very American word. (laughs) The bird people. The bird people. (laughs) Bird people know what I'm... We're talking... You know what I mean? The bird people. We, We know them. All right. So we've all been locked down for three months. You all know your birds. You knew what he was talking about. So, so they uh, have verified that it is indeed some European blackbird, and uh, there you have it. So you know, because that would have been. I mean, could you imagine, like, if that was recorded today in in the world that we live in with the internet? Had that been a thrush? I mean, they would have. <laughs> McCartney would have right. been crucified for that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the world we live in. It's it's so sad. That's but anyway, right. again, I digress. But there's Macca. Speaking of that, that's a great segue of what we're about to get to. Because I think the cultural relevance of this song is maybe one that when I was a little kid, when I heard this song, I didn't think of. This always seemed like a... I, I'm going to guess I was like 11 when the White Album blew my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I listened to it as a kid, but when you're like 11 or 12, you hear it and you're like, oh my God, like all these songs fit in this weird way. You hear Revolution 9 and it took me years to understand that and I'm still working on getting there. But a song like Blackbirds almost seems like a kid's song. You know, the lyrics are very simple. They're very repetitive. He's just changing the free and the arise. And you don't, you know, you don't think of it as any more than that when you're a kid. And then the world starts changing and you hear Paul start talking about, no, you know, bird means girl in Britain. Right. And you're like, wait, black bird? Martin Luther King, I mean, it's 1968. What a profound message that this guy is sending across the pond that the most popular group, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is there anything as popular as the Beatles were in 1968, even at that point? I mean, today, I don't I don't know. The Internet, Facebook is probably as popular as the Beatles are. (laughs) Conspiracy theories are probably as popular as the Beatles were. I mean, they had influence on every single thing in the world. And they choose to, you know, John choose to make his revolutionary statement uh, with revolution, of course, Mm -hmm. in three different versions. And Paul kind of. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to say it. I mean, under the radar slips in Blackbird. I never really thought of it as a protest song until he started recently talking about that. Right. Um, but man, I mean, in the Beatles protest songs or the Beatles like political statement songs, I mean, this is way up there. Oh, and I indeed. think in a, in an understated way. I mean, it is. I mean, the, the times they are a changing in Blackbird to me. I'm thinking, wow. I mean. Imagine blackbirds. I mean, it's up there. And I never really thought of it that way until we're kind of living through a time when a song like this, I'm I'm getting choked up just because, you know, I mean, we grew up in a time thinking this is the 60s. This will never happen in our lifetime. We're never going to live in a time where people are protesting and 
and the people are separated on either side. And man, music is the only thing we kind of still have in common. Right. And, and kinda is the word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I think if I put, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about it. This is our podcast. We say what we want. I mean, if, if I, it might ruffle feathers at a time to release Blackbird and say, Hey, black lives matter, Blackbird. Mm -hmm. People would be like, how dare you? And it's like, wait a minute. I mean, how dare I? This music, this is the reason this guy wrote this song. And I don't think you get to stand on one side and, and go, hey, how dare these people support this and sing Blackbird? <laughs> I don't know if we edit this out, Jay, but I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm talking about here. It's You don't get to play both sides, man. You don't get to love Blackbird and not get what's going on. Right, right. I mean, um, This is a profound statement that a white dude from Liverpool is making. At, and he's in the most popular band in the world. Um, and it's still as relevant today. Um, and yeah, not imagine, imagine, not imagine all the people. <laughs> but listen, over there, we feel you. We hear you. Um, this is Paul McCartney doing this in 1968, pre-internet. Um, his message was so profound, in fact, that we know that Charles Manson took this as one of the songs that was leading to the revolution that was playing in his head. Um, this is a deep statement that I never really understood, man, until maybe till today. Right. Or when I suggested, hey, let's think about doing this song. Not to, for me to make a political statement, but this is we get to see people that we know um, don't support any of the protests that are going on. And hey, that that is your political view. It's not, I mean, that's your thing. I would never... I'm not even making a political statement here. Just as a fact, I understand that people love the Beatles and sing All You Need Is Love and at the same time have hate in their heart. That happens. Um, I, you know, that's an understandable thing. But we get to see it. We've seen people wearing certain clothing that identifies them to a certain club singing All You Need Is Love and Hey Jude and Blackbird. And what I would suggest to our fans and people who are fans of this music is listen to the music. Listen to the music of your heroes. They are not saying hate people, and they are not saying let's be separated. They're saying come together right now over me. And they're saying all your life, you were only waiting for this moment to arise. And maybe it took this long, Jay. And that's how many years now? 50, I can't do math. I'm a musician. 50 <laughs> plus years that this song actually means something. And people are fighting what this song means on Facebook in my feed right now. The message of this song. So please don't, don't stand on one side and be fans of these dudes that you can see in the picture behind me. That one of them gave their life to his cause. And the other dedicated his life after he saw the world to love. Uh, and that's what Ringo has also done. And Paul has dedicated his life to causes, man. And to think that these dudes weren't political and, hey, shut up, you're just musicians. I think as purveyors of their music who love it, listen to their songs. Before you judge other people and ask other people to shut up or sit down, listen to their songs, man. All you need is love. Blackbirds singing in the dead of night. You say you want a revolution? Come on, man. I'm sorry, man. I think we have to say it because we see it all the time. Yeah. 
in, in a live setting. We see the love that this music can create where somebody who loves one side and doesn't believe in what the other people think, they have been five feet away from them and I know they love me and I know I love them and the music is the only thing we have in common right now. So what I would suggest to everybody on the left, on the right, in the middle, the people who hate people of color and the people who love people of color and the people who say all lives matter and black lives matter, just listen to the music that you love and the message will be there. Some of it will be hateful, right? But not the Beatles, man. You can't stand there and say all you need is love and nah, 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 and not believe in what they're saying. That's all I'm trying to say. We are the purveyors of their music and maybe their message is getting lost and I'm standing on what little soapbox we have and say, Paul McCartney is saying this in 1968 and you can tell him as a musician to shut up because that's what I'm seeing people do. How dare you say that? Yeah, Paul, how dare you? But I digress. Our sponsor today is we don't have one. The Strand. Sponsor today is The Strand. 18 mm. miles of books. New York City. Mm. Mm. Love New York City. Love Waterloo sparkling water. The peach flavor is Which, my new jam. Peach today? Nice. Peach, man. So good. I've been, I've been on that. Yeah. Waterloo. Jay, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share? Well, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to me... I mean, it, it's sad that what we're going through as a country in 1968 is in many ways still what we're going through as a country in 2020. Yeah. And in many ways worse. But I don't know that for sure because we know more about what happens. And uh, there has been... The institutions that uh, have served us as an American society um, are not serving us in the way that I think they should right now. And, um, you know, I think America is a great country, but we have a lot of work to do, and we always have. And we were founded on some questionable um, ideas. Some of them were amazing. Some of them were not. And some of them were, you know, the founding fathers are a dichotomy, a contradiction in and of themselves. They had some great ideas while simultaneously being slave owners. Right. Brilliant minds who also were committing an atro in, in what is an atrocity, right? I mean, of the highest order, right? Um, that is, I just to point out to people because we know that we have people that listen to us and are fans of our shows that are of all ages. And I don't, I, I, t I have a daughter who's 17, she's becoming a senior in high school. You have a daughter as well who's the same age as my son, they're in their early, you know, preteen age. And I talk to him about what's going on in the world because we're Gen X, you and I. We talk about that a lot. We're kind of in an, we're in between the baby boomer generation that we entertain and who are our fans mm -hmm. and that we love and we admire because those people are our heroes. You know, from that generation comes people that I consider heroes of mine, Bob right. Dylan's and, and et cetera, of all colors, races and creeds, political ideologies, they... And, and we also are raising people of a younger generation and we are open to what they say because we're Gen X kids, we're slammed in the middle, right? We're not a big generation of people. 
But we were raised by people that some of them were bigoted still, but we we're also raised by people that were of that generation that started to have an open mind. And I feel as a military kid, those were a lot of my teachers. These were people that, you know, we were, I wasn't raised to look at other people in a way, being a military kid, being my background, because I know your background is different, being a farm kid growing up in a small town in Iowa. Mm-hmm. But my, however, our political views, I've, we've, we've, common ground, but I'm just showing, we come, this generational thing is a big deal to me because we are raised by the baby boomer generation. They're our parents and our teachers. Uh, you know, Bill Cosby was our hero when we were kids. That's right. Everybody, he was shoved down our throat as a hero. He's not that way anymore. Um, I was also raised in a, you know, in a very religious family. Um, and to believe that certain things weren't right. And I've learned through my own experiences traveling the world and meeting different people and seeing different things that the way that I thought wasn't correct. And that happens to this day. And I, I, I think the learning process is something. And that's why I say, hey, listen to this music, because I've heard Blackbird for the first time ever this week. Yeah. And I've, I've seen my brother play it a thousand times. I've seen Paul McCartney play it five feet away from me in concert. I've listened to it thousands of times. I've tried to play it thousands of times. And I feel like I just really heard it. I agree. I agree. Um, I went way off on topic there. But, I mean, I think our generation is an important thing. Because talk about the way that you were raised. I mean, it's, it couldn't have been, hey, man, diversity is the only way. <sighs> it is a learned thing, right? Talk to me, man. Right. I mean, I... Yeah, I, I grew up, I I hadn't I grew up with no people of color. I I my mother was from Omaha, and and uh, somehow my dad got her out to the farm, and uh, uh, my mom wanted to move back to Omaha till the day she died, um, because she loved, you know, she loved um, culture. You know, she loved what the city provided that she didn't have on, out on the farm. Was she unhappy out there? Absolutely not. She was awesome, and and my mom and dad loved each other. But yeah, it was a. I mean, I I graduated with thirty six people, which was like a huge class for me, right. or, or for that school. You know, I think there was like fifteen and eighteen on the other side. So it was, you know, we're small town Iowa, middle of America, not a lot of diversity. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go to a big school because I wanted to experience that. And, and so I went to Iowa State, which um, it wasn't it wasn't like eye-opening because I've always just had this thing of acceptance, you know. And, and, and a lot of that comes from my mom, you know, because she did grow up in a diverse community here in Omaha. And, uh, yeah. um, but... There's yeah, traveling. Traveling is hugely educational um, about understanding different cultures, and and you know it's uh, it is it is a my hope for 2020 is that actually we finally are able to make some some huge steps forward so that we can't just write this year off as the complete shit show that it appears to be at this point. For everyone. That's my daughter's, that's how my daughter's referring to 2020 right now. My 11-year-old daughter is calling 2020 a shit show. 
And I'm like, I can't even argue that. You, what could you say? <laughs> and, and that's not a political statement. And I'm just pointing out to anybody who's listening. Again, we appreciate anybody's political view. I, we're, we're kind of talk, talking ethics at this point and the, the meaning of a song that's very important to us. So if you're offended by anything we say, I mean, I, I, you should just listen to what we're saying. We're, I'm, I'm telling you to listen to the music, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's our common ground. And I'm telling you that I have no problem entertaining anybody on any side. Um, because I get it. I mean, I know why people believe politically what they support because, you know, but all I'm telling you is you can evolve. Everybody can evolve. Putting your feet in the ground and standing on a soapbox and saying, this is the only way it can be because this is the way I was taught. You can change. I was not raised to be the person that I am today. I was not raised, you know, I have parts of my family that are, you know, they are still racist. I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in, in a, you know, a middle Atlantic state where I was born. I grew up in the, with military kids. You've seen, I've seen oppression, racism all over the world. You see it. And I, now it's getting a voice. And you, because most of our lives, it's like, yeah, that used to happen. And that's just the way we were taught. And that, you, you have to kind of learn things on your own. And that, as I told, told my daughter, again, who's 17, just yesterday, don't write people off because of what they say, because they may not understand how it's affecting other people just because they still think it's 1988 or 1958 or 1948, because that's how they were raised. And you have to like explain to people, hey, you know, things evolve. And what was cool five years ago, all you have to do is watch Survivor, Jay. I know that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> okay. In this quarantine, I've started to watch Survivor because it's like sports. So it's something sure. you can watch with your lady or your guy or whatever, because it's like there's a sports element, but there's also the reality TV element that anybody would, you know what I mean? So sure. yeah. I recommend Survivor. So I'm watching an episode, a season from 2014. Okay. 2014. This is six years ago. There is blatant racism and bigotry on the show from a, a, a young guy who is from Alabama. Uh, he's, he's homosexual, and he is blatantly racist towards people, like the most bigoted person I've ever seen on a show. He's not even the star of the program because it's, it, it, it's I've never seen anything like it, Jay. And it's six years ago. And there's a white guy who stands up and he's like, I'm tired of everybody talking about all this damn race shit. I'm just tired of it. He's a professional, like a doctor. You know, he's our baby boomer dude. At this time, he's like in his 60s. And this mm -hmm. is six years ago. You know what? I've heard it all my life and I'm tired of it. Everybody just stop damn talking about it. You got the black president. Shut up. Six years ago, there's blatant like misogynistic attitude towards women, blatant, blatant to from everybody on the show. It's not like that anymore. You watch it. You watch Survivor. If anybody would do anything that they're saying on that show now, it would be blown up on Facebook, blown up, which is probably why they were doing it, by the way. So people would talk about it. But still, when you watch it, you see that times have changed. What was cool in 2014 is not cool now you know, there was the Me Too movement. There were, you know, and I'm trying to explain to my daughter, hey, you know, there's probably a picture of any of anybody that you know that could be out there that was cool in the 90s <laughs> that in 2030 might not be cool. Totally, totally. You know, and I, like, for example, I know a famous comic, 
um, I used to work at a comedy club and there was a huge fight in the parking lot. And this dude got his ass kicked, not the comic, a guy that worked there got his ass kicked. He was a bouncer there. And the guy posed like it was like a picture that hung on the wall that we all laughed at all the time because this dude was all beat up. And he's like, he's got his thumbs up and there's like comics posing, like laughing with him. Let's say that is something that in 2030, it's like that guy is a victim of a brutal something that happened in the parking lot. And now those dudes would be, I'm just my, that's my example to my daughter, which might not be a good example, but it's the generation that I come. You have to explain it to people like that. Hey, that wasn't cool. Then it's not, you know, it, it was accepted then. Right. It's not cool now. Right. Learn from something as silly as that. And people are stomping their feet and refusing to do that. And listen to the song, man. Yeah, I agree. Listen to the song. We took a turn on this podcast. <laughs> we did. But it are, it's the times that we live in. Oh, it, And I thought the message of this song was, hey, man, you got to talk about it. Uh, and I think that it's important that the, that Paul really made a beautiful stand at this point. I, I and, agree. Um, and you can't you can't talk about Blackbird in our current climate without talking about our current climate. And that, if anything, we're only making a commentary on our current climate. And our views are our views. Uh, if you disagree with us, the cool thing about us is we totally accept that, no matter how much you vehemently disagree with us. Because, you know, we were going off notes on this, and we might have misquoted something as well. So you can point that out to us. <laughs> totally. You can totally. you can get a hold of us at info at billymcguigan.com. We hope you're enjoying season two. It's 2020. And man, you're right. We couldn't do this one without at least bringing this up, right? Right. So uh, we accept everybody here in Beatleland. We have to rate this song. We have to give it our glass onion rating system. I'm going to turn it over to you as you always give a beautiful take right off the bat with Did a great we? rating. Again, we're doing a 10-point rating scale. 10 points. A 10 yes. glass onion rating scale. And we're hoping for, like uh, they do on the barstool sports, the pizza guy thing, uh, you give us like a dot in there. So we, Hey Jude was a... A perfect landing, that's a 10.0. It may not get better than that. There may only be five tens in the catalog. Where do you rate Blackbird, my friends? Um, Blackbird is is coming in as a 9.6 for me. Tell me why. Um, such, I mean, and I'm thinking about, because Hey Jude was actually written, or recorded at least, not long after this. Right at and the I same think the time. next yeah. McCartney song that the Beatles recorded was... Helter Skelter. Mm. So uh, <laughs> that's a pretty, I mean, <laughs> just this slice of 68 shows how incredibly diverse and talented Mr. McCartney is. Yeah. Um, uh, just, uh, yeah, let me, uh, just a quick interrupt. Something that we didn't touch on, uh, his guitar playing in this song, uh, referencing not Donovan's picking that he le would have learned that John would have learned in India, but it's a Bach thing. And I couldn't, I'm, I'm not French and I, I say it British. It's a, it's a Bach song, isn't it? Do you yeah, know the name of the song? Uh, Bure and E minor. Thank you. Bure and E minor. Bure and E minor. Yeah. A beautiful Bach. piece by Bach that George and Paul would play when they were kids to kind of impress people. A little thing that they learned. He was into the like thumb bass style and he did overdub a guitar part in there. Is that two guitars? Did I read that? Or is it just in the final recording, just, 
I, I've thought I read somewhere that there was a suggestion that there may be an overdub guitar. And the only reason I say that is because we're nerds and unplugged. He has two guitars played at the same time. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Him and Robbie McIntosh play Blackbird at the same. And it's sound, it's like, ooh, he doesn't do it that way anymore. It's the only time I've ever really heard him do it that way. And it sounds really close to it. Interesting. I, I have not read Everybody, that. YouTube that. Give that a check. I throw that up there. Yeah. Anyway, back there, to you. There is, point. You reminded me of something. There is in this video, apparently, John at some point joins Paul in the studio and is playing along with him, um, which would be great to see. I'd love to oh see this God. video. Anyway. Oh, I'd um, love to hear that version. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Paul, that's one of the cool things about this song, um, we didn't really talk about playing it live because neither one yeah. of us are involved in it really, except yeah. for whistling. Well, we got to mention, yeah, we're the we're the black buzz. <laughs> we should um, talk briefly because you know, we <laughs> lay it on me. Oh, just we've done three different versions live of this. There was a version where you played guitar, Matthew, Matthew sang. sang. Yep. Tom Roland was the footsteps for a brief time. Do you remember oh, early he? on okay. he would he would wear the dress shoes so he could get and we would mic his footsteps. That's right. Okay. This yeah. is the first version of yesterday and today. Yeah. And I think there was a kind of another version where it was you and Matthew. Yep. Yeah. And then Matthew at one point said, "Hey, I've learned Blackbird because I mean that for us as little kids, that was the unattainable goal because we're self-taught and there was like no way we could learn that, but Matthew being the real musician of the McGuigan brothers figured it out and started to play it live. He plays it great. And man, it is it is one of the best live renditions that you will you will ever hear. Paul says he's the only one that plays it right, and he is correct. But Matthew's real close. Yeah, that that thing the thing that Paul does with his thumb, um, and I don't. I mean, it, it's again, it demonstrates just how mu- musical this person is because it is not a the classical way that you do that sort of playing it's it's his right. own take on it right um but it is so cool so cool and so yeah good. he says it you know he says it every time you see him in concert you know you guys try who who's tried who's played this song you know you're playing it wrong it's so funny <laughs> it also pisses me off a little bit but big that's time um, I also if i may i'm sorry to interrupt one more time <laughs> wikipedia has something on there about this song that is incorrect i just like to he it says every Every time Paul has toured, he has played this song, and that is that is not correct. Right, I mean, right. he did. It was one of the, the first songs he played with the Wings, though. It was like the first Beatles songs that it, Beatles he did it in Wings, Wings and didn't really bring it back around until he did the New World. I'm sorry, I'm a Paul freak. The New World tour, he brought it back after they did. He he might not have even done it every show. It might not have been. Somebody can correct me on that. But really, when he came back in the 2000s, this became like a centerpiece. Of of his performances and man, now he like rises above the crowd and you're just like, oh. anyway, back to it. Listen to the words, people. Yeah. So nine point six. I digress. No, no, nine point no. six. Nine point six. That's what I'm giving. <clears throat> man, Jay. Oh, here here's one thing. Here's yeah, one note. While yeah, you're while thinking. I'm. Yeah, so, please. Um, the the melody that Paul sings is entirely a pentatonic scale which is very, it's a very close relative to the blues scale, which is a very African-American device for music. So, Probably uh, 
not thought of by Paul, right? I mean, he has no influence of any African-American artist in his life. I just like to point out that little Richard is uh, who we lost, by the way, is Paul McCartney's greatest influence. And <laughs> just listen to the music. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful take, Jay. Thank you for that. I'm going to go uh, 9.7 on this song. Just one, because I was going to give it a 9.6 as well. I just think um, this is one that maybe be, may, maybe be, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have given it a 7, 7.2. Maybe when I was younger, Beatle fanatic, 5. It wasn't like my favorite Beatles song. Uh, but it's never been more relevant than it is right now. And it is... Uh, that just shows the brilliance of what these guys, who they were as people, who they are as musicians, and who Paul McCartney is as a revolutionary. I think it's pretty amazing. So nice. Blackbird off the White Album, baby. Yeah. We give it a this very high score on this one. Thank you guys for joining us this week. Jay picks next week. Do you have anything? Have you thought of it? Uh, I haven't tease? even thought of it. So I'll, uh... We haven't even thought of it. So we'll think of it. Um, the world is starting to spin again. It was good to see your face in person, though through a mask. And gloves. It's great to great to start seeing people again as the world starts to return to normal. Let's remember the lessons we learned while we were locked down, friends. Uh, we're getting back to it. Till we meet again. This is looking through the glass onion. <laughs> <laughs>